Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. Cynthia is out this week. We hope she feels better. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Every week, we bring in these remarkable entrepreneurs that have that one little extra thing on their resume, and that's service to our country. This week, I'm excited. We have an Army veteran, Ken Robbins from Millie. Welcome to the show, sir. Great to be with you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I I got a chance to sit down and really understand the business and understand what you're doing. And I think what it's great, we're going to talk a lot about that uh, going into uh, later into the show. But really, we all want to know what the story is about you. You know, what, what was your reason for going in the military, why you chose the Army, and what you did while you were there? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was like a lot of kids growing up in high school. I grew up in rural Maine. Um, so pretty, pretty isolated place. And, uh, for, for us at least, you know, there it was a, you know, the military was an opportunity to, to kind of get out and see the world and do something, you know, really different. Not that I don't, I mean, I absolutely love where I'm from and I love the people that are where I'm from. Um, but you know, I never really even barely even left the state growing yeah. up as a kid. And, um, and I had the opportunity to go to West Point and then become an officer in the army. And, you know, it, it just was really exciting for me because I wanted to serve my country and to have that opportunity was just, uh, was just really fantastic, uh, at an age like that. Um, and I, you know, and then I was fortunate to, to turn that into what became a 20 year army career. Um, I never expected it to be that way. I never, I never thought I would stay for 20. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't even really think I'd stay for more than five when I first started, but yeah. I just absolutely loved what I did and, and the opportunities that I had and, and more, most importantly, just the people I got to serve with. Um, every, every time I go to a new place, I'm like, it just kept getting better and I enjoyed it even more. So why, why um, the army though? Why was it something that, you know, you had a, a, a legacy of it from your family or is this, you just had army was on your mind? Yeah, no, I did. My dad had been in the army in the 1950s during the Korean war. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I didn't really, to me, that was kind of the, the biggest straw was always to the army. Yeah. Um, was based on experiences. He actually was, uh, he was enlisted, enlisted in the army. And, uh, and so just listening to his stories and his experiences, I just, I always thought that's where I wanted to be. I, you know, I probably would have, uh, when I was applying, I actually applied to both to the to West Point and to Annapolis, um, but uh, you know, fortunately, I guess for me, I I, I went the Army route because um, it was truly where I think I needed to be and where I was supposed to be. So, and for people unfamiliar with the process of getting into one of the academies, talk that through. Like, how did you get the endorsement? Because you need a sen a senator or somebody in Congress yeah. to, to write an endorsement. So it's actually yeah, it's actually a hilarious story. Um, <laughs> I was the uh, I actually was the president of a club at my high school. Um, and, uh, and at the time, George Mitchell, I don't know if you, maybe, maybe oh, yeah. folks don't know who he that is, but he's a center, yeah. was a center for Maine, um, pretty well known, involved in like the Irish peace settlements and, mm -hmm. and stuff later in his career. But, um, 
was a pretty well-known center. Well, he's coming to speak at my high school and, uh, and I, I got to introduce him in front of the, the student body nice. because of this club that I was president of. And, and I got to chat with him before and I, and, uh, you know, when I was talking to him, he's asked me what I wanted to do after high school. And I said, well, I want to go to you know, one of the service academies. He's like, great. And then like a couple of weeks later, I get a, I get a letter in the mail saying I get a nomination to the Naval Academy. Nice. Uh, and then I ended up getting a nomination. I think it was from Congressman Brennan to go to West Point and I ended up going to West Point. And, and years later, I actually saw Senator Mitchell a few years ago at, at a White House function. Uh, and I got to tell him the story, like, uh, you know, I get to remind him, I'm like, yeah, you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you know, I didn't end up going to, to Navy. I went to Army, but I think things turned out for the best anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty intense process. You got to apply through the congressman or congresswoman, um, you know, your senator or your rep. And then once they pick you or, or select you, you then got to get accepted to the academies. Um, and and it, it's a, it's a pretty long, uh, drawn out process. There's a physical, you know, test that you have to take as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty involved, uh, process, but I'm, I'm one that I'm pretty happy that I went through because it, it, it literally changed the course of my life. I mean, uh, because of things I've gotten to do since there, I mean, it really, really, I, I attribute a lot of that to, to my time at West Point and the opportunities that it, that it gave me later in my career. When you got to West Point, what, what about the whole process and being there and being involved in all that? Did anything surprise you or take you aback or was it just sort of you, you knew what you were getting into and everything that you went through during your time? you expected i you know i i think i knew what i was getting into but nothing fully prepares you for it sure. uh, until you get there um and 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 just the the you know it's a it, there, their model has been tried and true over years which is you know before you can become a leader you gotta learn how to be a follower yep. um and so your entire first year there is really spent learning how to become a follower and learning how to you know, be on the low, low point on the totem pole and what that's like, but also so that you understand that when you're leading soldiers later, that you can understand that, you know, even, even the, the, you know, the, the lowest private is still important to the organization and deserves to be treated with respect and, um, as an important part of that. And so, um, you know, just the lack of freedoms and everything, I think that was, you know, the, the biggest thing is you just go there and you kind of, you give up your identity a bit. Um, you know, you're wearing a uniform every day. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty regimented lifestyle. Um, but, but I also, I love the fact that you, you felt like you're part of something bigger than you from the very beginning. It was never about just you. It was always about the people you were with. And, you know, some of my best friends in life are, are the guys I met the first day I got there. I mean, they were standing next to me, um, and, and we're still close to this day, um, because we shared this like amazing experience together. Um, and it taught us a lot about ourselves individually, but it also taught us how, you, know, you have to learn how to work together as a team if you're going to accomplish anything. So, um, yeah, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting process that they put you through. So. Yeah, when you when you finally finished up at the at the at West Point, what did you want to do when you got out to the field? I just wanted yeah, I I just wanted to lead a platoon. I was so hungry to go out and lead a platoon. Um, I branched armor, um, so I was going to go lead a tank platoon. And I was, um, you know, there's two things on my mind. My wife and I got married about a week after I graduated. Oh, wow. Um, and, and we're still, you know, uh, married to this day, uh, some almost 30 years later. Congratulations. Um, and so it was like, it was get married. <laughs> and it was like, get to a unit as quick as possible and, and, uh, and lead a platoon because, I mean, everything you do there is preparing you for that. And it's like, you want to go do it. And mm -hmm. so for me, that was the most exciting thing is I wanted to get to a tank platoon. 
Um, I was really fortunate. I got to go to Europe, uh, to Germany, um, and I got put in charge of a tank platoon um, in Germany uh, in the end of, uh, you know, right after my basic course. And um, it was the best. I mean, to this day, I always tell folks of all the things I did in the army for 20 plus years, um, nothing beats that 18 months of that year, like uh, exhilaration of leading a small group of, of soldiers, um, the things you get to do from a training perspective, the things you learn. Um, and then just, again, um, the people you get to work with. I mean, I, my platoon sergeant at that time, I'm still, I, I still am close with him today too. Um, you know, I, I, I still remember the day I met him. I, I crawled up on the tank and I actually kicked the wrench and it fell down through the hatch and hit him on top of the head. Uh, he was probably looking, you know, looked up at me with this, like, Oh great. Who's this? What, what kind of lieutenant is this guy going to be? Um, uh, but we had a great relationship. Um, and, uh, and, and it really, you know, that's really where I cut my teeth and learned a lot about leadership was how level there's no faking it right i mean right. you're you're up close and personal with guys every single day um and they're going to see who you are and you know, all the posturing and everything you want to do you're not going to hide the kind of leader you are because they're going to see it and they're going to see it in the smallest of ways and so it really um you know it really kind of taught me you know what it was like to lead at that level and and the lessons i learned from it you know i applied throughout the rest of my career and i still am applying to this day i think so yeah, it, it's it's fascinating to me that sort of the structure in which the military hierarchy, but then you leave the military and that kind of goes out the window. I'm still friends with my former CO. I was in the Navy. And so the last uh, ship commander that I served with, we're good friends. Uh, every time I'm in D.C., works at the Pentagon, we hang out and uh, we go have dinner. And I was just a lowly E3. I was a nobody on the ship, but we still, uh, to this day, have a great friendship. Yeah, we, we look at the officers and, and the leaders that we serve with as these infallible examples of what we're supposed to be. Can you cite an example of something that you really, a lesson that you learned along the way as a leader that uh, you screwed up poorly, that you did really badly, and you learned from it, and you're like, I, I won't ever screw that up again. Just one or you want <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, I, so a, a good example is I was, um, you know, we were, we were on a peacekeeping operation when I was a lieutenant. So this is a, when I was a platoon leader. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were on, uh, we were stationed in the uh, UN peacekeeping operation. We were on these outposts where basically it was half the platoon on one outpost and half on another, like several, several miles away. Um, and it was a pretty small, like, I mean, I think we only had about 10 guys on the, on the, uh, on the OP, uh, for about three weeks at a time. So, you know, it was, it was pretty tight, like in terms of the shifts you had to pull and everything, you know, everybody was working. Um, you didn't really have a lot of fluff. And I remember there was something that happened. I think we had a vehicle breakdown or something from one of the other ones. I decided like I needed to go, you know, I need to go check it out or do something. And I left the OP, um, and, one, they didn't need me. <laughs> it wasn't like I was going to help fix the broken vehicle where it was. <laughs> right. Um, and two, right, they we were already down a couple guys up at the OP. So me leaving actually made us even down to a point where I think we only had three or four guys. Well, I thought I was going to go uh, check it out and come right back. Well, then a couple other things happened. Next thing you know, like I couldn't get back to the OP that night. So we ended up leaving like three or four guys. On the OP for that night. They did it well. They handled it. Um, but it was stupid on my part. I didn't need to go to the place that I went to. I should have stayed where my duty station was on top of that OP. Um, and that, that was one of the earliest lessons I had about like, understanding your role as a leader. 
uh, part the one of the biggest things you have to learn is where do you have to be, right? You have to decide, right? Because you can't be everywhere, and 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 you have to put yourself in the most important places where the most important decisions are going to happen. And that doesn't always mean going to places where you want to be. It's where you, you're going to, as a leader, you got to put yourself where you need to be. Um, and so later, I would apply that so many times in my career because you'd start to look at you like large as you get in larger organizations you're responsible for more you start to see okay um right big organization where do i want to where do i need to focus my resources and my attention um and more importantly what are the things that i do that only i can do that nobody else in the organization can do um, one of the biggest problems i think most leaders have is we tend to want to do the things we like to do or things that we know how to do well but it might not necessarily be the things we should be doing right we should be right. doing the things that only we can do um, because there's probably if there's somebody else in the organization that can do it, it's wor- not worth your time to do it. Um, but we, you know, we try to kid ourselves and say, well, you know, uh, I want to be down there with the soldiers and you know sailors, and I want to be on the ground level. Well, yeah. that's their job. That's not your job, right? right. You should be doing your because your job is to make sure they have the resources or whatever that is. And um, and I got, I think that was a really early lesson. In that. One thing I I didn't really understand how important it was until I got into the military was. The need for a mentor, the need to some to have somebody when you get out to the command to be there and to help you understand how to how to grow, how to be better. Did you find that when you got in, out into the field? Did you find a mentor or somebody that helped you kind of guide you along in your career? Yeah, I, I was fortunate to have several along the way. I mean, one here's one gentleman. His name is Richard Morales, who uh, he's now head of the systems engineering department at West Point. Um, but, uh, Rich was my company commander when I was a lieutenant. Nice. Um, and everything I kind of did later, do those things. And then Rich would kind of talk to me about what he was doing. And then I'd be like, okay, I want to do that now. Um, and having somebody that you could kind of turn to that had gone through it. Um, and, and you could see yourself through them was hugely important. And I was, you know, I was always very lucky to have those kind of leaders, um, when, when at all kinds of levels, uh, during my career that, you know, took the time to look out for me and what I was going to do and not just worried about how I was going to help them get ahead. Right. I mean, right. that's, that's probably the biggest, um, but I, you know, you see too often leaders that are focused on their own success and how their subordinates supposed to be helping them with that success. Um, and I was lucky to have a guy like Rich who was very invested in me and what I wanted to do and, and was looking out for that and trying to help me kind of see what that would be like. And I tried to apply that later when I was in those same situations. I tried to do the same for the folks under me. Been in for, you were in for over 20 years. What, uh, what rank did you achieve and, and when did you know it was time for you to move on? Yeah. I mean, that's a great, um, the, when to move on is a great question. Um, I was, so I retired as a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, right after just a sh- you know, short time after my 20 year mark, um, I was actually, it, it, and it was interesting. It kind of just hit me one day. Um, so I think, you know, people go through different processes to arrive at their, at their decision. Um, but for me, you know, I was, I was really lucky. I got to have this, I had this really cool job. I was a speechwriter for the chief of staff of the army. Oh, wow. Um, so I was you know, doing really interesting things. And so I commanded a battalion and then I went to the Pentagon was doing this job, um, and then, you know, it started to hit me like, okay, um, um, at that point, you know, I'm like, I'm in my early forties. Um, I never imagined I was going to say 20 years in the army. Um, yeah. and I, all I really wanted to do once I was in the army, it was like, my goal was kind of become battalion commander. Cause I always thought that was like the really 
epitome of like leadership job you can mm. do. Um, and then I started to look ahead at what was coming down the pipe. excited about these jobs you're going to do in the future and what you want to do. Um, and it, I wasn't, I wasn't that excited about it. And, yeah. and that was the thing I, that was when it really started to hit me was every, you know, I, every job I did in the army, I loved every place I, they sent me in the army. I loved, right. I mean, I never, I never had a bad assignment. I never had a bad duty station. Nice. Um, and that was because not because they were all great or because of, you know, I mean, I deployed to Iraq and, you know, I had some places I didn't necessarily want to be, but the point being is I, I was excited about what I was doing and I really enjoyed what I was doing. And I started to see that that, I was starting to lose that a little bit. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then the, the big thing is I, I, there was other things I wanted to do. And I knew that it was kind of at that critical time where if I was going to do other things in life um, and have other experiences, this was the time to leave. Right. right. I, couldn't, I couldn't stay another 10 years and really do that. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to become an entrepreneur or do, do different things when you're in your forties. It's another thing to do it when you're in your fifties. And so um, for me, that was really, it, it was like, okay, I you know, I felt like I accomplished what I had set out to accomplish and I wanted to, you know, have new experiences and, um, but it was hard. You know, it's never easy because you, you love, especially when you love what you do in the military, it's hard to leave it. Um, but then, you know, I talked to, I had the opportunity to talk to, I had to go in and tell the chief, it was general Odierno at the time. Um, and I had to go and tell him I was going to retire. And he said, you know, I'll never forget. It was the best, best like kind of advice I ever got. And he said, you know, Ken, he goes, I'm the chief of staff of the army. And when I retire, he goes within six months, it will be like, I was never here. Huh. Um, he said, because this, the one thing you learn about the serve, you know, the military is it, it, it moves on without you. Right. right? It's, and, and the minute you think that you're the one holding it up, you're going to get rudely awakened to that. And it was like so powerful because I'm, I stepped back and thought about it and like, yeah, that's, that's the way it's always been. Right. It's, it's, the army was there. The military has been there long before, you know, I joined and it will be there a long time after. And it's not about you. Right. Uh, it's about the systems they set up. And so, and he's right. And so that made, it actually made it a little easier to do. Um, but it's still, it's hard because it's a, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, it's going to be different and you're not going to be able to replicate the, that kind of relationships you have when you get out. So. Yeah. Did you have an idea what you were going to do when you got out or did you spend a little bit of time just sort of relaxing, taking it all in, reacquainting yourself with the people around you? I mean, what, what was your transition like? Yeah, I, I didn't uh, take a lot of time um, thinking about it. I jumped pretty much into entrepreneurship. Um, so I, I retired on December 31st and I formed the articles incorporation of my company on January 1st. Wow. Um, and I really didn't take a lot of, I took some time did take some time um, between, you know, kind of when I was done, I think I had a couple months of uh, retirement leave and I did use that time to transition because I thought it was important to have closure um, and, 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 you know, formally end, you know, my military career before I started. Um, but I, I was kind of, the one thing I did, I did get some advice, which I think is helpful for other folks that are leaving is um, they said, don't, don't make a list of what you want to do when you leave, make a list of what you don't want to do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and they said, make sure you don't, don't do, don't do what you don't want to do. Um, and that's, I think what happens sometimes with folks that leave, um, and it's why you see so many veterans never, you know, the, I think the, the retention rate in the first job after is like pretty low, right? Like it's pretty high transition. Um, cause most people take jobs that they think they're supposed to do. Um, not what they necessarily want to do. Uh, and, and so they end up, you know, doing things they don't enjoy. And then a year later, they're like, I don't enjoy this. And they end up leaving the job. Um, and so that's what I tried to do is I was like, and the one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to go back in the building. I didn't want to 
And not that there's anything wrong with that. We need people to do that. It's important work. Yeah. But I knew I that wasn't me. And I wanted to do something that was still like could help the military community, but not, um, you know, not kind of be at that level in terms of contracting and, and going back in the building. And I wanted to do kind of something different from an entrepreneurial standpoint um, because I'm like, okay, I, I want to see what that's like. I want to try something different. Yeah. I think it's a great way to tra- to do our first break. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. We've been talking to Ken Robbins of Millie. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. We're, we're talking to Ken Robbins from Millie. You know, he was just talking about the transition. Ken, talk a little bit about why you thought this business, because this business, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I didn't stay in the Navy for very long, but I watched a lot of my friends transition and go to different duty stations and really watch them struggle, especially ones that had a family or maybe they had a you know good amount of kids. They really struggled with this. So I, I understand the why, but why is Millie different? So I think it's different for a couple reasons. Um, one is the biggest one is um, it's well, I think the biggest one is it's it's done from the perspective of military spouses and not the service members. So, yeah. so often what you see in military startups, and again, this is not a critique. It's just an observation that, you know, a lot of them are, are rightfully focused on the service member. Um, what we wanted to do is we wanted to do something different. We wanted it to be focused on the spouse because we saw the spouse as like the key link in the family structure, especially as it related to the moving process. Right. And what I did is I reflected on my my career and, and with me and my wife. Right. In the 20, 20 years I was in, we did 12 moves. and. Wow she really bore the brunt of that. Right. Right. I mean, she was the one, but she was also the one kind of making the decisions, like in terms of where we're going to live and the neighborhoods and the house. And, and that was because I was so focused on like what I had to do when I got there. In some Mm -hmm. cases it was like, get there and then you're going on a training exercise or deployment or whatever. Um, and, and so from that experience, I'm like that, that to me is that rang true of like what a lot of military families go through is they, they are, the spouse is the one kind of making that decision. And since 93% of spouses are women, we wanted us, we wanted to do something that really kind of spoke to them. Um, and so to do that, we had to do it in a different way, which meant we, we, you know, we couldn't be all, um, and again, people are going to listen to this and think I'm being unpatriotic, but we couldn't be all like American flags and bald eagles, and yeah. red, white, blue, not again, that there's anything wrong with that, but just like, that's, you know, we wanted to kind of get away from that kind of direct, you know, patriotic, you know, marketing that everybody sometimes, you know, reverts to and really have something that spoke a little differently um, to them. And then the second thing was really, um, 
you know, we live in a digital age now, and we just saw an opportunity where you could take the information um, and you could do it in a way that you couldn't have done 20 or 30 years ago because of crowdsourcing. And you could create content that was effective um, with people all around the country um, without having to like actually be where they're at. Um, and that was the other, I think the big thing we tried to do was um, could, could we do this from a way that was going to be helpful and also speak to what those military families were going through in those areas. And we could translate that into content that other military families could use to help them with their, with their moves. I think it makes a lot of sense because from the spouse perspective, they're already getting a lot of like the gung ho military stuff shoved down their throat anyway. Right? Like what's another thing that has to be branded and look and act and walk and talk like the military. So I totally get the branding side of it. Break yeah. it break and, it down and, from a very like thirty five thousand foot level of what Millie is as a platform. So as a platform, really, it's 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 content about PCSing. Really, I mean, um, what we try to do is, you know, we take it from the perspective of if you're a military family, right, and you just found out you're moving to, you know, fill in the blank, um, and chances are you've never been there before, uh, you don't know what it's like. And you might, you may or may not, depending on how long you've been in the military, know anybody that lives there. Right. Um, and so in the past, when that would happen, right, we'd all go and try to find information. And what we'd find was a lot of it was anecdotal, or maybe it was kind of not really presented in a good way, um, and not really directed towards us as a military family. And so what we really wanted to do is create that content about those installations. But more importantly, we wanted to create the content about the communities that surrounded them, because... 70% of military families actually don't live on the installation. They live off post or off base, right? Right. So, so great if you're going to live on posts or on base in a military house, but that's not the experience most families are going to have. And so they're trying to make decisions um, in a very shortened kind of compressed timeline about where do we live, right? What neighborhoods we live in, the schools and, and everything. And, and, and they don't have the benefit of having, you know, lived there their whole lives. So they don't know the area that well. And they're trying to make these decisions on the fly. Um, and so we thought we could, you know, present that content. So that's essentially what we do. We provide that content about these installations and about the communities that surround them. And then what we do is we can then help, we try to help families with the next step, right? So, so, okay, the first thing is you learn about where you're moving to, but then the next thing is you need help, right? You might need somebody to help you right. buy a home. So we went out and created a network of real estate agents that are all veterans and military spouses that could help you, you know, buy a home in the community you're moving to. And we thought that was kind of key because we wanted to be able to have folks that have been in their shoes, right? So veterans and military spouses have lived through PCSing. They know what it's like to move into a community and try to find a home. Right. Um, and so we we did that. We grew that. We've grown that now. We have over 1,200 agents across wow. the country in our network that are part of the community that can help you. Um, but then we saw another need too, which was, you know, you have, you have military families that need help, um, with kind of small things related to PCS, but they don't have anybody that can help them do that. And we said, well, what if we created a, a marketplace where you could hire other military spouses, you know, to do little tasks for you related to your moving? And that's kind of how the scout network was born. Um, so now we have 130 military spouse scouts who live in, you know, their communities and you can go on our site, you can hire them. For jobs ranging from photo shoots to, you know, walkthroughs, they can go check out a property you're thinking of renting. Um, the whole idea is it's like it, they can take care of some of that burden because the one thing the military doesn't do is give you that money for that house hunting trip right. in advance. 
right? So they can kind of be your eyes and ears and kind of go check things out for you in advance. Um, and, and we did it all in a marketplace so that everybody, you know, feels like they're being valued and their, and, and their time, um, and efforts are being, um, valued. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how we, we thought about it. And then, you know, the most important thing for us was we wanted to, we wanted to have it under, like again, under an umbrella that was branded in a way that would speak to families. And so we spent a lot of time coming up with the name and the logo and thinking through that because, you know, we didn't want to just be like something, something PCS. We wanted really to be something bigger um, because really it's about the experiences, right? It's about military spouses and their experiences moving from duty station to duty station, the friends they meet, uh, the experiences they have. And we wanted to kind of embrace that and share that and make people excited about it. Cause that's to us, that's one of the most exciting things about military life is yeah, you have to move every few years, which kind of sucks. Um, but you also get to meet all kinds of people you otherwise wouldn't meet. And you get to live in these amazing places you otherwise wouldn't live. And every place you live, there's there's great things you're going to take from that. And that's going to great create you as a person. Yeah. And so you should embrace that and be excited. And the quicker you can learn about your neighborhood and where you need to live, the quicker you can start embracing that experience and really enjoy it um, and, 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 and get on the business of living your life and not, you know, Oh my God, I got to move again. This is going to suck. Yeah, we know that, but we can help it suck a little less, hopefully, and get you, you know, settled in and get your life going a little bit quicker. That's, that's what we try to do. Yeah. When entrepreneurs are first starting their business, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, how am I going to get my first customer? How am I going to grow that from one to a hundred customers and from a hundred to a thousand customers? How did you figure out who your first customer was going to be and how did you reach them? Yeah. So for us, it was that network of agents. Um, and we just said, Hey, if, if we build this, will we do that? And so we started to build it. And, and really I focused on, and this has been something we've done as a business from the beginning. And it's been driven a lot by the way I think about things is we've always been driven by the, um, uh, you know, it, there's a supply and demand and right. Do you go, do you create the, you go after your first customer? Do you go after your, 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 um, you know, your, the folks that are going to service them. And our whole thought was like, Look, I can go after my first customer on day one, but that doesn't do any me any good if I don't have anything to sell them. So our focus really early on was was building these not only these communities but building these systems with the networks involved, so that when I went out to go after the first customer, we actually had something of value to offer. Right? Like it wasn't just one thing; we had lots of things to offer them. Um, and look, it, it it's risk because you know you, you're basically you're sacrificing short-term profits, right? And you're, you're using your capital to build what you think is going to be successful. Um, and then and then from there, then we started to hone in on going after our clients. But we felt like we needed to establish the brand first before yeah. people were going to trust us. Um, and when I look back and, and I've learned some lessons from that. There's some things I probably would have done differently um, in terms of how we did that because, you know, we we didn't generate a lot of revenue at first. And that that was hard, right? I mean, that that put us in a more difficult position in terms of right. fundraising and what we had to do. Um, but, you know, in terms of, it's really, it's about figuring out who your customer is and then you can start attracting them. And I think that's one of the biggest problems I think I still see now is, you know, we get call, I get calls all the time from entrepreneurs. And the funny thing is products in search of a market, right? Yep. I mean, you see this all the time where people don't understand their, their, they build a product and then they didn't build it with a market in mind. And then now they're shopping around trying to find a market to sell it to. I can't tell you how many times I get calls from entrepreneurs or companies that go, well, I built X and I think this would be great for the military. And I kind of sit back and well, why is it great for the military? And really what it is, is 
No, they built X. They tried to sell it. Nobody's buying it. And they're like, well, we can sell it to military people, right? Yeah. The military people buy anything. Um, and I'm like, you don't, you didn't, you didn't start with really thinking about who your target market was, right? And it's not that it's not the pep, it's not the pizza, right? It's not even a slice of pizza. It's a piece of pepperoni on the pizza. Like, yeah. who are you going after? Um, and so for us, we knew really, we were really honed in on our market and who our cu- customer was. Um, but I'm like, we got to build, we got to build our systems and our, our, you know, inventory up, if you will, to be able to go after them or, or else we don't have anything to offer them. Yeah. Well, I think what was impressive is I, you, you have a video on the, on your website, which is great. And it, and if one of the key stats that stuck out in my mind was there are 500,000 families that the military moves every year. So there's your, I mean, for, for a lack of a better phrase, like that's your total adjustable market. And you have yep. that every single year it's not like it's one number and that's it it's just every single year you have half a million potential customers that could come to millie and use your services that's phenomenal and, and the bigger thing is too is a lot of people don't realize that you know every year roughly you know and it varies but roughly five million homes are bought and sold in the u.s every year yeah um that, that's probably higher this year i think um but the point being is of that five million or so like roughly 20 percent of that market is veterans and military um, it's a huge chunk of the home buying market. And, and one of the things we noticed, which is why we entered the space was nobody's really talking to that, talking to our, our people, right? They're not right. really, I mean, yeah, they do, you know, it's the same thing you see with the car commercials. Like here's, here's a $500 discount. If you come buy your car, you know, uh, we love veterans and, but, but nobody was really, nobody really talks to them in terms of what their needs are. Um, and I'm like, I, so, so for us, it was always clear. It's like, no, this is the only market we want to serve. We don't, we don't want to go after the bigger market. We think there's enough, there's enough business here. Um, and it's, it's understanding who you are and, and, and being disciplined enough to stay focused on that market and not, right, do what a lot of folks do, which is like you try to go after everything, right? You try to right. sell it to everybody. You try to make, like, that's just not practical. Um, and, and the companies that do that typically don't don't do well. Right. Um, and the other thing is it takes time, right? It takes time to build relationships with your, uh, you know, your total addressable market. Um, you can't just show up on day one and on day two, think you're going to, you know, they're all going to buy your stuff. Like they, they gotta, they gotta get to know you a little bit. They gotta know something about you and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big things we've learned is, um, you know, like we've started this year, we, we were very fortunate to do a partnership with Lowe's home improvement. Um, you know, Working with big brands is a dream of startups, right? Because they got so many resources and they're such big companies. They got huge marketing budgets. But guess what? Um, they're very protective of their brand and who they associate with. Yeah. Um, and they don't associate with companies that have only been around for like a day or a year, right? I mean, they want to see a track record of your performance and that you are really who you say you are before they're going to lend their brand to you. Right. And so you know, now we're, je- we're just starting to kind of crack into the space of having conversations with large brands and you know people are always like oh that's great you know i'm like yeah but it took us five years to get there because (laughs) they had to there they can now see a track record of who we are um and and they know that we're sincere and we're legitimate what we're trying to do and we're not just trying to use them um you know to to get to get ahead that we're really committed to our market um and, and and that's the biggest thing I think most startup, you know, we, we all imagine we're going to start a company that's going to go huge and we're going to sell it, you know, we're going to sell it for millions of dollars. And 
you know, and then the thing you never hear is these startups that, you know, that have been around for 20 years. Right. And, yeah. and then they're successful and you're like, you're overnight. It's like, no, no, I've been doing this for 20 years. It takes time. 10 year um, overnight success. <laughs> yeah. Every year an overnight success. Every 20, you know, the reality is just most of us are, you know, there, there aren't a lot of Facebooks, right? Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to rock it that way up. Um, but if you stay true to who you are and focus on your, on your market and who you're trying to serve, Right. You, you will, you know, and you improve your systems. You learn. I mean, we learn every day. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm still learning now in terms of like how to make our products better and how to, how to, you know, like I, I was so excited before I got on the call with you because I did, I was on a sales call with an agent who was purchasing one of our memberships for content. Um, and I, I convinced her to buy. And it's like, I still get excited for every little sale that we do. Like yeah. it's, you know, you got to stay, you got to stay focused on your customers. Um, and I'm, I'm excited not because we just did a sale, but because, I know this is going to help her business and she's going to be better off for it. Um, and that's what makes me excited is, you know, I, I know, like I, we have other folks, we, we, you know, other customers that we've helped and we've seen their success. And I'm like, Oh, you don't even know how much we're going to help you. Um, and I'm excited by that because you're going to, you're going to see it in a year and you're going to be like, why didn't I sign up with you guys like years ago? <laughs> right. And that's what gets me excited still is, is seeing, you know, folks that you know, you can help. Um, and then, you know, you convincing them to give you an opportunity to do that. And then, and then every day you just see, can I provide you value and help you, you know, help you grow, which is good for us and good, you know, good for you, good for us and good for everyone. Yeah. You brought up earlier that entrepreneurs that, that think they're going to go sell to the military personnel and they're going to go on base and all but for you, how do you, how were you able to sort of penetrate that community? Because they're each command is different. Every branch is different. And being able to sort of not necessarily market or sell to their community, it, it's something they're very protective of. How how were you able yeah. to get in and, and sort of be part of that community after you got out? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. I think it's a lot of it's a key to why we're, we are able to do what we do. Right. So one is we never we never expected to be able to go on base and kind of sell it. Right. Like right. we knew that was not practical because my co-founders and I had enough experience in the military to know that that one, that's not how it works. Right. DOD doesn't endorse private enterprise. Right. They don't say, oh, yeah, go do all your business with, you know, wh whoever that may be. Um, and so this idea that you're going to magically get on base and you're going to become the, you know, the preferred person like that, that's not a rea reality um, in terms of how it works. So, but what we did know was, um, we knew that there was a large market. We knew there was a half million military folks moving every year. And we knew there were people that wanted to attract them right to their business. Um, so we started to think about it from a marketplace perspective of like, you know, look, millions of people are, millions of military families are moving. And, you know, a chunk of them are coming to your area, but they're coming from all over the world, right? So you can't afford to market to, right? If you're a real estate agent trying to sell your services, you can't sell it to, the 30,000 people coming to San Diego every year because they're coming from all over the world. Right. And they, you don't know who they are and where they're coming from and what time they're coming. And the same thing is how do they find you? Because you're one of many. And so what we started to learn was, um, you know, art by building the brand, the way we did it, like we could bring the two sides together in a marketplace and then they'd find each other through us. Right. So, right. but to do that, we had to focus on the brand and we had to focus on building something that military families would look at and say, Hey, this is good. And we trust these guys. Like we trust that they're doing, looking out for our best interests and trying to help us and not just trying to make you know, money off from us. Um, and, and so for that, like, like I said, we, we spent a lot of time early on with our branding and our naming and thinking about who we were as a company because 
we knew that that is not something one, it's not something that's easy to do. Uh, it takes time to do, and you can lose it pretty quick if you don't stay focused on who you are. And so we, we are constantly trying to remind ourselves of that every day, like who we are here for and who we're trying to help. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm always most proud of our team is when we help folks and we don't make any money off from it. We just help them because it's the right thing to do. Right. And so that's to me, like always the, like, I'm like, if we just help military families, it will, it will work out for us because we have enough, you know, things that generate revenue for us. We'll do okay. We don't have to, you know, we don't always have to be, you know, right there to say, well, you gotta, you gotta use us and you got, we gotta make money off you. No, like we'll, it will work out over time because we're going to establish a reputation where people know they can trust us and can come to us to get the information they need. Um, and because that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we're all part of the community. I mean, my COO, Kelly Artis, I mean, she's a military spouse, lives in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I mean, her husband's active duty. I mean, she lives this every single day. Right. And so, I mean, she, she is our customer. So we, we, I try to always channel like, like through Kelly, as we're trying to talk to folks, like what is Kelly thinking? How is she thinking about it? Because she's thinking about it exactly how they're all thinking about it. And that's how we try to, we try to frame it. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of businesses, to your point, don't really think about it from the customer's perspective. A lot of, you know, you mentioned it earlier, a product finding, trying to find a market. I was fortunate to work at this really cool company called Twilio, and we had literally um, shoes that we had made because it was all about wearing the customer's shoes. So we would get shoes made up with our little logo on the, there were Chuck Taylors, and I'm a big Chuck Taylor fan, but they were just Chucks with the logo on the heel. And we would give them out to customers or, you know, we would all wear them. But it was really to emphasize, if you're not wearing the customer's shoes, how do you know that you're solving a problem that they want right. or if, that they see value in, right? You know, it's it's a great point. If you try to put yourself in your customer's shoes, I, I heard, you know, I, 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 you know, he probably gets overquoted way too much. But, you know, Elon Musk, I was I was listening to something or reading something he said a few months ago. And it really it really hit me hard. He goes... You know, he's like, you know, too many, too many, you know, leaders of companies and things spend too much time, uh, building PowerPoint slides and yeah. sitting in meetings and going over spreadsheets and, and trying to figure, and they don't spend enough time talking to their customers yeah. and figuring out what is it your customer wants? Because if you're serving your customer well, you're going to make money. Yep. Right. I mean, it, it, it's the spreadsheets and the other stuff will take care of themselves. And, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it. There's a, there's a, there's an importance to, financial managing your finances correctly and, and doing those things. And, but, but, you know, right after that, I kind of huddled our team and I said, I, I want to take this to Harvard. Like I've spent the last, like one thing I've, you know, like I said, I'm trying to always learn, you know, one of the things I learned was, um, Hey, I, I'm not, I'm not interacting with our customers enough. Like not, not the, I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with folks I'm trying to create as a customer, but I'm not talking enough to the folks who are already paying us and using our services. Right. So like the last month or two, I've, I've been trying to reach out to current clients and just say, do you like what we're doing? Are we, or can we do something better? What, what else would you be looking for? Um, what services of ours that you are, you know, you, you have available to you, you're not taking advantage of, like, let me get you those services because you're paying for it. You might as well take. Right. And it's been a really eye opening experience for me just to, to realize that. You know, if you do that, you really do learn some valuable things in terms of like what people like and don't like about your products. Um, and then you can turn around and you can integrate that right back into your, you know, right into your design process in terms of what you're trying to push out. But, yeah. um, but yeah, you just talk, like you said, talk to your customers and see what they want. So, you know, 
listen to them um, and you'll be surprised. They'll tell you, right. They'll tell you yep. what they like and they'll tell you what they don't like. Um, and, and, and don't worry about a lot of the other kind of noise that's out there. If you're focused on them, um, things are going to work out for you in the long run. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of founders of early stage companies spend a lot of time trying to perfect their product and they're perfecting possibly a feature that nobody even cares about. Right. So great to point. your point, yeah. talking to customers mm-hmm. and really understanding, I, I had a great friend, we went through Techstars years ago and, uh, and he was a friend of mine that I worked with at Twilio and he said, look, Josh, if you're not absolutely mortified and embarrassed by your first product, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I think a lot of early stage customers, they have a high tolerance for failure within your company because they believe in it too. If they didn't believe in it, they wouldn't invest their money to be a customer for you at your early stages of your business. So, you know, the communication needs to stay up because they want to tell you what they want and you just need to have an open channel yeah. to listen. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, the other thing that I've learned, like, if you are doing that too, you're going to get ideas or you're going to create products that you might not have even thought. Yeah. Right. Like a good example is like, you know, we have, I didn't, I didn't talk about it before, but we, we have a subscription service for agents where they can, they can brand, use our content in their marketing and they, they basically can put their branding on it um, and co-brand it with us and they can send it out to military families. Um, and we do a blog site for them. We write a blog form a week and stuff. That, that whole product, that wasn't even on our radar screen when we yeah. built this company. You know, that came as a result of me talking to my wife, who's a realtor, and who said to me, you know, I really love your site, but I already have a client working with me. I'm not going to send them to your, your site because right. they're already working with me. I don't need to. She's like, but boy, wouldn't I like to share some of your content? And it was like, holy cow. Like, And then I, I kind of asked, like, well, would you pay us for that? She's like, yeah, I'd pay you for something like that. And you know, so that, so that was a realization that like, we didn't even set out to do that. It mm. just is something that's, and now that's one of the most successful parts of our business is, is that service. Yeah. Um, and it was something that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. It was just born out of like, again, talking to a customer and talking to somebody really wish you do this and I'd pay you money to do it, you know? Um, yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the end of the day. That's the biggest thing, right? Is really solving a problem that somebody needs solved or you building a product that you're trying to tell them they need, but they really don't need. Right? right. I mean, you know, I think of the, what was the juicer thing, you know, that, that went <laughs> crazy and then bankrupt. It was like, you mean, I could just cut this and just squeeze this into a thing. I don't need this expensive machine. It's yeah. like, I mean, you're, you're just, that's not a problem. You're not, you're not helping anybody. You're not right. solving any problem for them. Yeah. Um, no. And that's what most startups don't do. They don't think about it from the standpoint of what, what problem am I solving for my customers? Um, it's always like, well, what product, will you pay me for and how much will you pay me for it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, I took a sales class a long time ago and, uh, and the, the most important point out of this was there's a value box and there's a cost box. And, and if you are able to build a value box bigger than the cost box, the customer is going to buy mm-hmm. every single time. And yeah. that's startups yeah. in a nutshell. Like if you can make that value box bigger than the cost, then that's it. They're going to buy hundred I mean, percent of the time. You know, my big sales point on our membership site, as I tell agents, is I say, you know, okay, this costs X, right, in a year. Um, but if you sell, let's say this helps you generate just one, one home sale that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Guess what? The commission you make off that is four times what you just paid me in my membership, right? So I'm like, this will pay for, like, so again, like you just said, you're creating the value and the, and the, they can see, right, the benefit of it. And then the best thing you can do is you got to get your, like, I, we have a, we have an agent that's been with us yeah. for a couple of years and she just called me the other day and said, you know, I, I equate like a quarter of my transactions to you guys. 
And like, as soon as I got done with that, I, I wrote to Kelly, my CEO. I'm like, I'm like, Kelly, I'm like, guess what? Guess what Alyssa just said. And she's like, you need to put that on the website. I'm like, you don't think I've already got it up there? Like I had it like in bold, like this is from an actual customer. This is what she said about our product. Like, I mean, you can't, you, yeah. that's gold. And I see so many companies that don't, you know, don't, you know, they, they do, oh, you know, we get five stars. No, like share stories of how you really helped a customer with a problem or help them do something they otherwise wouldn't have done. Yeah. I said, those are the things that grab people, right? Um, and, and the more personal they are, the better, because that's what they want to see. It's like you, you're actually helping somebody, um, you know, and yeah, of course you're making money. That's okay. We're, yeah. we're capitalists. We're supposed to make money, uh, <laughs> but you said, uh, but, I'm, but you're helping me solve a problem and I'm willing to pay you for it. That's, that's, that's a win for everybody. Yeah. So. You know, we covered a little bit about, you know, the lessons you learned in the army while you were with an officer, but what is the thing? And then, again, it's one of those things where you can probably cite a number of examples, but what is the one thing that you could cite that was like, I screwed that up really bad and it could have cost everything we've worked for. Yeah, you know, I I think the biggest thing was um, we learned this early on is there's there's very little about what you can do that hasn't already but is it very nothing you can probably build uh, in some sense that somebody else hasn't already built and perfected right yeah. so um, so one of the things I tried to do early on is I thought we needed to create our own like you know we we tried to build our own unique system um and it sounded great at first because i'm like okay this will be great because we'll own it we can control it everything but that's like a bear of an undertaking when you're creating something from scratch that doesn't exist already like you're already building this company and then you're trying to build this system to support it and i'm like that like nearly broke us and i i quickly said well why don't we just hire another company that does this and yeah it's going to cost us some of our revenue to pay them to do it but they'll they, they'll do it a hundred times better than we can ever do it, and we can't do it at the level they're doing it for like years because we don't have enough resources. Right. And I think that was the thing I I've now taken to heart is like anytime I try to do anything, I always stop and say, well, somebody else already done this and perfected it. So is there a partnership or a service that we can incorporate so that we you know it will enhance what we're doing, um, and we don't have to do it ourselves then we should do that yeah. um, because almost always the cost of doing it yourself and trying to build it yourself is going to be much, much greater. Now, yeah, great. You own it and it's all yours, but um, you know, if it's not core to what you do, um, then you should really think hard about whether or not you should be doing it yourself or not. Um, right. And cause you, you, you can only focus on so many things. And yep. so for us, right. We fo- content is our niche, right? Like creating really great, awesome, usable content is what we're really good at. Um, and then I use other systems and programs and software that like help facilitate sell that. But that's, you know, I, I don't try to go create all those systems on themselves uh, on their own now because it, 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 it's just too hard to do and it takes too much time and effort. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a big lesson to learn early on was, Hey, you can't build this yourself. You're not going to, this system will not last. Um, and then, and, and which kind of leads you into the second piece, which is, you know, if you aren't building things to scale, then you're wasting your money and your time, right? right. So if you're building something that's going to sell one product, that's okay. But what happens when you're, when you start to sell a hundred of them or a thousand of them or a million of them, whatever right. it is, you know, you better have thought through your scaling process and, and you should, you got to plan for success. Um, you know, you, 
you got to make sure you're ready to handle the volume when it happens um, because nothing will shut a new company down any quicker than like, right? Like yep. overwhelming success and then they can't handle it. And then people leave because they're like, well, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't service me in the way you said you were going to. Yeah. And then 100%. you don't get a second chance with that customer again. So, yeah. 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 It's a great lesson. Uh, you know, we have a few minutes left. I, I want to talk about the future. Like where do, where do you see Millie go in the next, say five to 10 years? Where do you hope aspirationally you get to? Yeah. I, you know, my hope is we get to a point, you know, we're, we're talking to some other, you know, larger companies right now. Um, and I want to get to a point where I think, you know, we can partner with other brands. Um, because our goal has always been to like, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to holistically cover the entire PCS process. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to just handle the little piece. We, I want to, I want to incorporate every aspect of it in there because, um, it's the most painful process that, you know, the two things that are really painful military families are deployments and moving, right? And I can't fix deployments. Deployments will always happen. That's yep. always part of military life. Um, but I think we can make moving easier. And, and I think we can do that by incorporating even more of, of other services into what we do. Um, and, and that's kind of our dream is like, we want to, we want to have a place where military families can come and they can do, you know, if they can't do everything, they can do sure as heck do a lot of it in one spot and not have to kind of always bounce around at different sites and different organizations and companies. And like, we want to be able to make it a one stop where they can come and, and service all the things they need to do. Um, and, and, and more importantly, not just service them today, but like three years from now when they do it again, like we want to, we want to make it so that they don't have to like reinvent the wheel every time they do this. Um, so that they, they can do it again and again and again, and they're not starting from scratch because we've created systems and processes that allow them to, you know, to, to pick up kind of where they left off last time yeah. and move forward. Um, and that's kind of our goal, you know, whether we get there or not, you know, but I, that's kind of what I've always wanted it to be, um, is, is something more holistic than even what we do now. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we're trying to find the right partners that will help us do that because I know that's the other thing is you, you quickly, you can't do this stuff alone. Yeah. You, you need partners, you need people that have shared vision. Uh, and I think we got a couple of those that we're, we're talking to now that really see the, see it in the way we do. Yeah. Um, cause, cause there's so much, there's so much of the, the move that we're not covering that we know needs, a, needs to be addressed too. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause it's never going to change. Moving is never going to be easy. Nope. Um, and, and military families are always going to move. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Where can people find, uh, find the site online? Yeah. Go Millie, G O M I L L I E.com. Um, that's it. Uh, it's, a, it. it's yeah. And, and, and I always ask folks, you know, like tell us what you think of the name, you know, the name was, um, it was interesting. Like it was, it took us a long time to come up with it. We went, we worked with a company we're very close with today to help come up with the name and the branding and, um, and, and we hope it speaks to military, especially military spouses on different levels. Cause that's what we were trying to do, yeah. um, is, is something that they can really own. I mean, one of the, the favorite things that we do that I love the most is, uh, we let military spouses share their story. They get to talk about what it's like to be a military spouse. Um, and we, and we call it hashtag I am Millie. So they, they that's get awesome. to say, here's my experience. Um, and we, and it's great. We have like, you know, chaplain's wife, whose husband joined the military when he was in his forties. We have a a girl that teaches hip hop dancing to kids. I mean, and everything in between. And it's wonderful just to see, uh, you know, because so much of military life forces you to in a certain bucket. And what yeah. we've always said is you can still be yourself, right? Especially for military spouses, you can be a great military spouse and support your service member and 
still be yourself and, yeah. and pursue the things that you love and, and, and they don't have to fit into a neat little bucket. They can be, you know, they're all, we all come from different walks of life and you should cherish that and you should, you should be excited about it. And we want to echo that. Like for every new spouse that joins the military, we want them to know that they can, you know, they can, it can be who they want to be and they don't have to conform and, and, and turn themselves into something they're not. So well, Ken, I love what you're building. Congratulations on all your success. It's been great getting to know you and your business, um, and come back anytime. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share our story. Yeah, it's been great. Guys, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Uh, we'll be back next week. Have a great week. Take care. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.